God, we're so grateful that you sent your son Jesus on this day that we celebrate love, all because you first loved us. It was nothing that we earned. It was nothing that we deserved. It was nothing that we said, look at what we've done for you to love us. You just loved us, and we're grateful for that today, Lord. We pray it all in your name. Amen. You guys can be seated. I would normally be dismissing our kids today, but none are here, so that's good. Um, hey, we are so glad that you're with us. As a matter of fact, um, it was funny. We were talking about uh, how very empty the seats are and kind of spread out it is, and it's like the Super Bowl last week. Maybe we should have paid 100 bucks per person that isn't here, made you guys pay, so we put your cardboard cutouts and, and have it all set up in here. But uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you had the opportunity to watch the Super Bowl last week? How many of you guys had an opportunity to do that? Now, I'm not sure if you had an opportunity to watch it. Um, I had the opportunity to get together with some friends to watch the game, uh, most importantly, eat some food. But in that process, uh, like many people that I've talked to over the week that did watch it, the game wasn't great. It really wasn't that entertaining. Uh, on top of that, the halftime show was really weird. And then uh, you add in the fact that the thing that most people actually tune into the Super Bowl to watch is the commercials, and they were forgettable at best. Um, as a matter of fact, there's only one that I can kind of remember, and the reason why is when I saw it, I said, that commercial will actually fit into my message this week. And it's funny because you might be thinking, well, what in the world, what commercial could possibly be fitting into the message? Well, let me tell you what the message is, and I'll let you see if you can figure it out. Today, we are in week six of seven of our Unseen Battle sermon series, and today is all about the helmet of salvation. Does that help anybody at all on what commercial it might be? Well, as you're thinking about it, we're going to look at that commercial here in just a minute, but before we do that, I want to do a little bit of review over what we've done for the last five of these six weeks. Back on January 10th, we actually started looking at this unseen battle and this raging battle that is all around us. It's a spiritual struggle is what Paul tells us. And as we see that it's a spiritual struggle, he says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And as we looked at that, we answered the question, what should we do? And that what should we do is found in verse 13. It says, for this reason, because we're in this spiritual battle, because we're in this spiritual struggle against all these cosmic powers, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand. And exactly how do we do that? How do we take our stand? And that's how we started diving into the week by week of the how. And the first how was this. Stand, therefore, in verse 14, with the truth like a belt around your waist. And we said what the truth is is everything that it holds together. And if you've paid attention since week one, you'll see that everything has that truth woven throughout it. It holds everything together. Then it says this, and righteousness like armor on your chest. And that righteousness is given to us by Christ, and it's lived out through our lives and in our lives by doing what is right in Christ as well. It goes on in verse 15, it says, and your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. We talked about that, how we stand in the truth 
And we're no longer at war with God. And when we're no longer at war with God, we can live and be in peace with that. Then last week, it said this. It said, in every situation, take up the shield of faith, which is you can use to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It said it was our first line of defense against the attacks, against the junk that the devil throws at us. This is the thing that blocks all that. And you have to have faith that God is who he says he is, and he's done what he's going to do, and he's going to continue to do what he says he's going to do in that. And that leads us to our verse today. Our verse today is this. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And we'll even continue into verse 18 as we read. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So here we are at our next piece of armor. The helmet of salvation. You have the truth holding everything together. You have what is right protecting your mind. It protects your will. It protects your emotions. You have the gospel giving us peace with God no matter what our current circumstances might be, and you have faith, the first line of defense against the devil's schemes, against the devil's lies, and against the devil's temptations. Because you know what? That is what he will use to try and take you out. Those are our first defenses. And every week we look at how this piece of God's armor, we need to emphasize it's God's armor, not our armor, that this piece of God's armor, we saw what it meant for the believer to put it on and fight this spiritual battle. Today will be no different. So in it all, we have to ask ourselves some questions. And I think the first question is, is what is the purpose of this helmet? And even more so, what does it have to do with salvation? How does salvation be the helmet that protects our head? Well, let's pray together this morning. And we'll just ask God to open our hearts. Ask God to open our minds and point us in the direction that we need to go. Father, thank you again for today. And thank you again for the opportunity to be able to dive into your word. And thank you for your salvation. And as we dive into it, as we look deeper into it, I pray, God, that you open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say. And change us and challenge us to walk closer to you because of it. We pray it in your name. Amen. So the helmet. Have you ever played a contact sport before? If it requires a helmet, you'll know the purpose of a helmet. If you've ever been on a construction site or some job site requiring a hard hat and there's signs all over that say, watch your head, you know exactly why it says, watch your head and why you have that helmet on. You probably, if you've ever ridden a motorcycle or an ATV, um, you know that a helmet is very important in those kind of things. I remember as a kid, we didn't ride our bikes wearing a helmet. That wasn't a requirement. Um, actually, we made fun of the kids that wore helmets. But those kids can remember things now that I still can't. So uh, maybe I shouldn't have been making fun of them at the time. We understand the purpose of the helmet. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I think of a helmet and I think about the protection that it offers and what it does... I'm not sure if you've ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan. Uh, I tend, every time I think about a movie, and every time I mention a movie on Sunday morning, I realize how much I date myself. Because Saving Private Ryan came out in 1998, which is a long time ago now. It didn't seem like it was that long ago. But I remember going to see the movie and, and just the intensity of the movie. And there's a scene where the Americans are fighting in the trench and they're all there kind of next to each other. And one of the soldiers takes a bullet off of the helmet. 
and he takes it off and all the guys around him like dude you are lucky of course i think they use some profanity in there so i won't quote it exactly um but they said dude you're lucky and he's looking at his helmet he takes another round to the head they didn't protect him that time and he dies and you begin to think to yourself what the purpose of the helmet really is and what i think we all know is to protect your melon it's to protect your melon, and even more so, not just protect your melon, but to protect what's inside of your melon. Because what's inside of your melon, your brain there, it is the control center of everything else that you do. It's a control center. And so if the brain's a control center, if it is damaged, it will cause the rest of the body not to function properly. It'll actually impede your ability to function properly. And that's why we don't lead with our head. We don't lead with their head. If you watch college football, you know somebody who leads with their head, they actually get ejected because they're trying to tell them, don't lead with your head. And, you know, I will tell you that even today because last weekend we said this shield, the shield of faith, but the shield itself is your first line of defense. Your head is not. On, on Tuesday night, we played dodgeball with the youth, and I said, you don't, if you get a hit in the head, the person who throws it is out unless you're using your head as your defense mechanism. Then you're out because that's just dumb. Okay, so, so we want to make sure that we're not leading with our head because our head, if it gets hit, you know you're going to be seeing stars. And on top of that, if you don't have a helmet on, there's a good chance you might not be seeing anything because that's how important our head is. Well, spiritually, as Paul is referring to this, the brain is to the body as the mind is to the soul. And he's saying, protect your mind. The mind is the control center to the soul. And like a physical helmet protects the brain, that spiritual helmet will protect our mind. And it's our last line of defense, just like that last one. If anything gets past that shield of faith, we have to have something that's going to protect our mind. So bringing it back around, the helmet protects our minds, and that helmet is salvation. So here's a question. How does salvation protect your mind? How does salvation protect your mind? See, the helmet of salvation is focused on that, but why is it important? Well, we've already said the mind determines and is the control center, but what it determines, it really determines what we believe to be true. We can go back to the belt of truth, that thing that holds everything together. It also helps us trust or have faith in what is right in how we should respond, that shield of faith. If a flaming arrow of doubt gets past the shield of faith, what's there to stop it from getting into your skull? What's there to keep it from penetrating your brain? I'll tell you something. February 14th, it's kind of a weird day in our house. When Cameron was five years old, Christy and I were getting ready to go out on a date. And uh, we had a babysitter come, and he come running down the hallway, and we had this really slick tile by the front door, and he slipped on it, and boom, nailed his head on the wall and split it. Instead of going on a date, we went to the emergency room. That's a, always a great way to be able to celebrate. Talk about protecting your melon, by the way. And then uh, 11 years ago today, 11 years ago today, I received a phone call on Valentine's Day. That phone call was a phone call saying, your cancer has returned. We've, we've did all the tests. Here it is. Here's the steps that we have to do. You want doubt to creep in, to get past your shield of faith? You begin to hear that word cancer, and you go, God, what are you doing? 
I'll never forget the day. I'll never forget all the days that followed it for that matter. But in all of that, I remember going, God, this cancer's on my tongue. You're going to have to cut stuff out. You're going to have to cut into my neck. You're going to do all kinds of things. How can a pastor do a pastor's job without a tongue? That was a real question. God, what are you doing? So there's so many different things that will jump in. Those flaming arrows of doubt, once they get past that shield of faith, you have to have something because that doubt will creep into your mind and then you begin to question God and even push him away. The reality is what we think controls everything that we do. And not only does it control everything we do, it controls every way we respond and every way that we react and every way. I mean, there's a long list of what happens when we think it. I heard a quote the other day as I was looking through all the stuff. It didn't attribute it to anybody, so I can't do that. But this is what it said. The actions of today are the belated announcement of what I was thinking yesterday. The actions of today are the belated announcement of what I was thinking yesterday. So if Satan can get to me and what I think today, it will cause me to respond and do something tomorrow. How many times in our life have we said, well, I thought it was a good idea. I thought it was a good idea, so I put it into practice, and guess what happened? Everything went haywire. Because if Satan can get into our minds and cause us to react in a way that isn't Christ-like, this spiritual battle, not the war, by the way, but the spiritual battle has been won by him, if he can get into our brains. And that's the reality that we see here. And I've said it before, the battlefield that Satan likes to use is right here and lies between my ears. And it lies between your ears as well. I know scripture says it rages all around us, but lots of New Testament scripture says, hey, you got to protect your mind because that is where he's going to go. That is what he's going to go after. So Paul says we need to protect our minds. We need to watch what we're letting in and we need to watch what we're thinking and watch how that thinking is causing the way our direction of our lives go. So what do we do to protect our minds? We put on this helmet of salvation. And how does salvation tie into it all? Well, we're going to break down the meaning of salvation here in just a minute. But here's what I need you to know up front. Salvation radically changes the way we think, and it radically changes the things that we do. It radically changes the way that we think, and it radically changes what we do. See, that righteousness that's found in the breastplate of righteousness that's been imputed to us, the way that we live it out is because salvation is changing us. That, that's how all of this, it's amazing to watch it all tie together. So I guess our first question that we probably have to answer today is, what is salvation? What is salvation? It's a, it's a common, almost slang term that gets thrown around in Christianity. Uh, salvation. But what exactly is it? Well, if you go back to the root word, the root word is soteria. And it actually means deliverance. It means deliverance. It also means to be made whole again or to be put back together again as a matter of fact in my studying some guy had kind of related our lives to Humpty Dumpty and just to let you know I got off on this rabbit trail of Humpty Dumpty when did Humpty Dumpty become an egg it never mentions it in the story yet that's how he's represented it's one of those things that was a Super Bowl commercial not too long ago as well but I began to look at that and, but the whole idea of Humpty Dumpty is what he sat on the wall Humpty Dumpty then what had a great fall. Well, guess what we've had in our lives? Genesis chapter 3, a great fall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, but all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. 
And the guy related all the king's horses and all the king's men to all the religious leaders and all the different religions of the world that tried to put us back together again, even ourselves. And guess what? It wouldn't happen. So we needed someone to make us whole again. We needed someone to put us back together again. We needed a savior. We needed a deliverer. And that deliverer wasn't a man. He was God who became man to come and save us from our sins, to make us whole again. And this is just part, and I emphasize the word part, this is just part of what uh, Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 6. See, with this salvation put on, we are justified, and I'll go into a little bit more detail about that here in a second, but we are justified by God to give us Christ, or He has given us Christ, and so the moment that we stand before Him, we are clean. We are recognized, we are saved, we are made new, we are made whole again. And that happens at a moment when we receive Christ as our Savior. So the question comes to mind, though, if Paul is talking about a helmet of salvation, who again is he writing to? Do you remember? He's writing to the church. Church is made up of believers who are followers already of Christ. So if they already have salvation, what does Paul say to take up? this salvation. Where is he going with that? See, Paul is talking not just about that initial response to salvation, but salvation throughout the rest of your life and even into eternity. See, he's talking on a much broader sense than the way that we see or tend to use salvation. If you look at the New Testament writers, Paul included, they write in such a form of tenses of salvation. There's the past, the present, and the future tense of salvation. And that's what we're going to look at today. See, salvation is a promise, it's a reality, and it's a hope. It's a promise from the past. God has saved us. It is a present now. He is saving us, and he will save us in the future. You might be like, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Good, because we're going to dive into that just a little bit more today. The past. Already kind of talked about it. We've been made whole. We've been made new. Those who are in Christ have already been saved. Those who are in Christ have already been saved. If you have been listening to us, and we've been talking about Ephesians chapter 6, I keep jumping back a couple of chapters, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Probably if you grew up in church, this is a verse that you were forced to memorize as a child. You probably didn't understand why, but listen to how important this is. It says, for you are saved in the CSB. But the verse that you probably learned growing up, it says, for you have been saved. You have been saved by grace through faith. That it's not of yourselves, it's God's gift. Not from works so that nobody can boast. This is a verse saying that you have been saved. As a follower of Christ, we have assurance that we've already been saved. We have assurance even seeing that. See, salvation of the past, it, it, it refers to two great acts of God. We're going to see these throughout as we talk about more things. One, I've already mentioned, justification. The other, after justification, adoption into his family. In justifying us, God declares that the requirements of holiness that are required by the law have been satisfied on our behalf through Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Jesus, once again, that word we learned about a couple of weeks ago, imputed to us so that God declares that we are innocent. In this way, we're saved 
from damnation. That damnation that we deserved. And he saved us from that. Then uh, adoption is the declaration of God whereby those who have been justified are declared to be his children. That is an awesome part of it all. They're adopted into his family and become heirs of the riches of Christ that are soon to be. It is a fulfillment that we have the reality now, but a fulfillment that will take place in the future. So how does this apply to Christians today? Salvation as a past reality. It, it actually frees us from the power of guilt of sin. It frees us from that, which really has a tendency to enslave us, doesn't it? How many times in our lives have we looked back on our past and said, well, God, I did this, so there's no way you could use me now. Or, or I just did this, there's no way you can use me now. And then that power of sin will try and enslave us. But the, the knowledge of the past that salvation has taken place, it breaks that bondage. Satan's going to use whatever he can to mess with your mind. See how it's all coming together now, this helmet of salvation? He's protecting you from that. If we have assurance that the act of salvation happened in our past, when we are saved from our guilt and sin, then we can see that all of our guilt, all of our shame has been transferred to Christ's account. He took it on himself. He took it on himself on the cross. We've talked about that before. And when we realize that, it gives us that freedom. Remember how I told you up front, there was a commercial that fit my message from the Super Bowl? I'm not sure if you remember, like I said, there really wasn't very many good ones. But this one was a rocket mortgage commercial. I'm not sure if we're monetizing this YouTube, but if you guys want to send us a check, I'm okay with that. Rocket mortgage commercial had Tracy Morgan, a former Saturday Night Live uh, host and star. But if you remember, there's a family that was looking at a house. And they walk into the bedroom of the house, and the, the family standing there, and the wife says to the husband, I, I don't know if we can afford this house. And she looks over at the husband, and the husband says, well, I'm pretty sure we can. And then it pans over to Tracy Morgan in a bathtub holding the Rocket Mortgage app up in his hand. And it says, pretty sure? Pretty sure? What do you mean pretty sure? Shouldn't you be certain? And I'll let the commercial pick it up from there. Can you run with it, Corey? What's the difference? Let me show you. I'm pretty sure these aren't poisonous. Pretty sure these are parachutes. Might have the sandwich. That's mine. Pretty sure you do not run. I'm pretty sure you can take Batista down. You're on. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is trending. I'm pretty sure these hornets aren't the murdering type. I'm pretty sure we can make it. Let's go with certain. Certain is better. Let's go with certain. I love that. And actually, I love the fact I'm pretty sure we can make it. It's too often in our lives, we are not 100% sure if we're saved. And we begin to ask that question, are we saved? Am I saved? And as we begin to look at that, we have to understand the certainty of the moment that Christ came into our lives and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. Because if we're unburdened and free from that guilt, we have the opportunity to look to the present and the future of our lives, which leads us to that next thing. Are you pretty sure or are you certain? Well, that leads us to present. 
those who are in Christ continue to experience salvation. The present reality. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says these words, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are what? Being saved. It's showing this process that's ongoing. The process of salvation is ongoing so that it is a present reality as much as it's a past reality. Salvation in the present refers to two more great promises of God. The first two are justification and adoption. These two are sanctification and perseverance. Sanctification and perseverance. Sanctification is a process that is ongoing in the lives of believers. This is the Holy Spirit working in us. The moment that He indwells us in that past when we accept Christ as our Savior, He begins to change us. He begins to work in our heart. He begins to work in our minds. And He begins to protect our minds and conform us more and more and transform us more and more to who Jesus is. As a matter of fact, He's going to say, you're going to grow in grace towards Christ and further from the world. That's why Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, another verse that you probably, if you grew up in church, remember memorizing. It said this, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true act of worship. Do not be what? Conformed to this age. Don't be conformed to the way the world thinks. Man, how many churches are in the place where they are conformed to the way the world thinks right now? Do not be conformed to the world thinking, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You know what Satan doesn't want? He does not want you to become more like Christ. He 100% does not want you to become more like Christ. He wants you to be more like him. He wants you to conform to the world. He wants you to become that. He wants you to fall into that pattern. If you memorize it in the NIV, don't conform to the patterns of this world. And in case you didn't know it, the mind of the world is jacked up. It has taken a few shots to the melon. It doesn't quite think straight. It's anything but the mind of God. But the sanctification process that takes place as we are being saved protects us from that as we're being saved. The present reality of salvation also promises this word called perseverance. Perseverance so we can have full confidence that we will continue as believers to the end. You know, when it comes to the mind, it comes to doubt. That doubt has a tendency to crush all the promises that God has given to us, at least in our own minds. We forget who God is. We forget what he's done in the past. We forget what he's doing right now as he's changing our lives. And, and we tend to walk away. And we have this question. And it's a question I get far too often. It's a question that I've debated with people. It's a question that, that people have come to me and said, well, what do you think about this? And it's one that I don't particularly like, but I think it's one that is extremely necessary to talk about. And that is this. Can a Christian lose their salvation. Can a Christian lose their salvation? And I'm going to give you just a quick answer to it. No. Okay. And the reason why I'm going to give you that quick answer to that is because I truly believe that a true believer in Jesus Christ cannot lose their salvation. Let me give you a long answer to it. Just a little bit of it. First of all, go back to our Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It said that it is again by grace that you've been saved through faith and not of what? works so that no one can boast. So if you can't do anything to earn your salvation, guess what? 
You can't do anything to lose your salvation either. I love what John MacArthur says. Pastor John MacArthur says, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Because, because we're just not good enough to keep it. And the reality is that doesn't give us the right to continually sin, though. Because I think that's where people get hung up. They say, well, just because you're saved all the time, I can just live however I want. No, we go back to that sanctification. In sanctification, we're being changed to be more like Jesus. We're being changed and thinking different. Our mind is being renewed. If we go, well, I'm saved, so therefore I can do whatever I want, your mind isn't being renewed. So maybe you were never saved in the first place. And that's something that we have to look at. Because God's going to change your heart. He's going to change your mind. He's going to change your desires. All through that breastplate of righteousness that is imputed to you that you impart and live out. The second thing, 2 Corinthians says that you're a new creation. Not just a repainted version of the old creation. They're not going to peel that paint off because you fell apart. See, God says the old is gone and the new has come. You are in Christ. And it also tells us that nobody can be taken from Christ. So if you are truly a Christian, you've been redeemed. You know what that word redeemed means? It means bought and paid for. God doesn't have a return policy. He doesn't say, well, I thought I was going to pay for you, but I don't particularly like you, so you're gone. That, that's not the way he works. It says also you've been justified. We've used this word a handful of times. And with the justification and the adoption, as we talked about that, you've been declared righteous. That's what justified means. Declared righteous. You know what it means to declare? It actually means to make known officially. To make known officially. You've been stamped by God. You've been marked official. You can't unstamp it. You've actually been, as the Bible says, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and you can't be unsealed. I had Russ read it a couple of weeks ago. We had it up on the screen, but we did Romans chapter 8, and I'm not sure if you remember what he said. He said, nothing can separate us from the love of God. You know what's included in nothing? My stupidity. My poor choices. I can't separate myself from God, if I am a true believer, he is working on me, he is changing me. You know what? We have to hold on to that. Because it changes everything in how we respond and how we live. Jude chapter 24 and 25. Sorry, not chapter. Verses 24, it's only one chapter long. Verses 24 and 25 says this. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Salvation is a present reality. It's not something that we can lose. If we are truly saved in the beginning, if our heart is being transformed, not just some prayer that we prayed, not just something we did because everybody else at church camp was doing it, but because we made a profession that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our heart began to change at that moment. Salvation in this present reality allows us to continually be freed from the power of guilt and the power of sin. Having been once and for all, declared in God's eyes, we've been freed from our guilt and freed from our sin. And guess what? We now can live in that freedom. I'm just going to say it. This week, when they opened the restaurants back up, I was sad that we have to celebrate that, but I was excited to go eat at Wex. And I did. And it was nice to sit in a restaurant, and there was something about that just little bit of freedom. You forget how great it is to be free until you're tangled up and not have that freedom. And, and the reality that we see here 
is we have freedom in Christ. But far too often, if we're sitting around worried about whether we're saved or not, we're not going to take the steps in the freedom because we're going to be tied up to the bondage of whether or not we're saved or not. Whether or not I'm doing enough to be on God's good side or not. Imagine a life that's free from guilt and shame that Satan uses to try and mess with our heads with. And we put on that helmet of confidence. I mean, if you've ever put on a helmet, don't you just feel a little bit more confident? I talked about not wearing one as I rode a bike when I was a kid. The only time I ever wore a bike helmet was when we go out to the desert and we do the big double jumps and triple jumps. And it was a very wise thing then because I was not good at that. I would try, but I just never could clear that second hump and the front tire would hit it and I'd go flying and you put your hands down and all those rocks would just dig into the palm. And you remember those. Some of you are feeling the pain and the empathy right now as you would go sliding. But as your head bounced off, at least it was protected. But you had that confidence to make that jump because you had the helmet on. You, you have the, the littlest, scrawniest little kid that's a football player, but you put that helmet on, he's like, oh, you know, mighty giants, little, you know, they're ready to take it on. And it's that confidence that comes with the helmet. We have confidence because we have the helmet of salvation. So first we have the past. Now we have the present. Let's jump to the future. Believers in Christ will experience salvation in the future. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 says, How much more than since we have now been justified, that declaration of righteousness by his blood, will we be saved future tense through him from wrath. More than just past and present, salvation points to the future, a, a future hope. As a matter of fact, a lot of people, when you look at Ephesians chapter 6 and the, the spiritual armor, they'll tie it to a verse about future hope, and that's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. And it says these words, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on again this armor. He listed it a little differently here, but the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. Salvation's future reality points forward towards our glorification. So now we have justification, sanctification, glorification. And glorification is the future work of God in which he takes the dead, he raises them, and he gives them new bodies. And they're ushered into that final heavenly kingdom. Our bodies will be freed from sin's corruption. Romans chapter 8, verse 23, Paul talks about the redemption of the body. The future reality of salvation is that we can look forward to being freed from all of sin's presence. We look forward to that. That is heaven. And if we begin to look, you know, I've heard it said before, what you think means more than anything else in all of your life. More than what you earn, more than where you live, more than your social position, more than what anyone else may think about you. What you think matters that much. I've heard it even put in more simple terms, you are what you think. You are what you think. And that's probably why Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, we need to take every thought captive in Christ. We need to have that filter in place. And we know it's true. And as true as believers, that means we have to put on this helmet of salvation. First, we must be saved. Second, we understand that we are being saved and that we have this freedom. And there is a future glorification that is coming. How would that change the way we think 
about our lives? How would that change about the way we look at our current circumstances? See, Paul's talking about it protecting your mind and protect your life as you continue to stand firm in this battle that we have raging all around us and even inside of our heads. And we need that protection because that battle inside of our heads, like I said, New Testament writers talk a lot about what's going on inside of there. James says, hey, you can't have a divided mind. You have to have a mind that is focused on Christ. James 1.8 says, don't be double-minded. Don't be tossed back and forth. Don't be conformed to the patterns of the world and then also say that you're following after Christ. It's a one or the other. Too many people won't take a stand for Christ because they're too busy serving themselves. And, And that's a problem. And James calls it out. The helmet of salvation will protect us from a divided mind. It'll protect us from that. It'll drive us towards right thinking. And right thinking says that Jesus deserves my all because he gave me his all. He died for me. That goes back to that past salvation. It should change the way we think about everything else. 2 Corinthians 11.3 also warns us about something. It talks about being a, a deceived mind or a seduced mind. It talks about how Adam and Eve were seduced into buying into the, the generic counterfeits of a different kind of God. We're getting to be God, or be in control of their lives instead of relying on the true promises of God. You don't think that Satan's trying to do that on a constant basis with us? The helmet, it protects us against that. We've also touched on this, that 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, verse where it talks about the hope of salvation, the hope for a future. You know what that does? That protects us from discouragement. Because I'll tell you, I, I watch the statistics. I've told you before that, that I'm a chaplain, and, and most of the calls that I've gone out on in the last year have been suicide calls. And, and the numbers, uh, look it up. Just Google it or whatever favorite search engine you have. Go and f- look at suicide numbers during the pandemic. Go and look at the mental health issues during the pandemic. It is off the charts. People are without hope. They look at their current circumstances and say, I don't even know how to cope. We cope because we have Jesus. We cope because, first of all, he has redeemed us. He has justified us. He is in the process of sanctifying us, and glorification is coming. We have hope. Reality is, is a lot of people think the Bible is just wishful thinking. But it's not. I see the Bible and what the Bible tells me as unwavering confidence in God, putting on that helmet and gaining that confidence, the hope and salvation that we've already received in the past, the hope that you are currently living in in the present, as well as the hope of eternity and the future that lies ahead. When a soldier loses hope, he loses the battle. We know that. You know, yesterday it was 60 degrees. This morning, when I left my house, it had a feels-like temperature of negative 5. That's quite a change overnight. There's only one other time I think I've ever experienced that in my life. I had the opportunity to go and go hunting pheasant in South Dakota. And the day that we arrived there, we stopped by a Cabela's. There's like a Cabela's up there. It's like one of the first ones ever made. I think Nebraska had the first one and South Dakota had the second one or something like that. We stopped by a Cabela's. It was 70 degrees. I'm like, I don't need anything. I got a zip-up hoodie. I'm good. 
I don't need anything else. We went out hunting the first day. I was actually sweating. Had the hoodie tied around my waist. Next day, some crazy storm blows in. It is in the negatives, and we go out to go hunting. And I'm like, I am not going out there. That, there is no, I don't care about that bird enough. I flew all the way to South Dakota to sit inside and eat soup. That's what I was thinking at that very moment. But we went outside anyway. I, I found some long johns, and I'm not a normal size guy, so you can't just find any pair, but I tried. We made it work. I went out there, and the whole time I was outside, you know what I was thinking? I want to get back inside. I had no hope or desire for finding any more birds. I don't need to eat them. They don't taste that good anyway. Most of the time you find a BB in there that jolts your whole entire system. I'm good without any of that. I had no more desire. Well, that's what happens the same way with us as soldiers. When we lose hope, we have no more desire. We don't want to fight. We don't want to go out there. All we can do is think about excuses on why not to be in the battle. Can I just challenge you? Don't lose hope. Hold on to Christ and the salvation that is found in him. Hold on to him. Put on the helmet of salvation. And if somehow, some way, those arrows, those flaming arrows of doubt get past the shield of faith, that helmet will protect your melon. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for who you are. And thank you for the way you continue to work in our lives. Thank you for the way you continue to challenge us as we walk with you. We know there's going to be ups and we know there's going to be downs, but in that time of downs, help us to remember the hope of our salvation. The hope of our salvation because Jesus Christ is in our lives. Even the worst that we have to go through here is nothing compared to the best that we get to be in the presence of yours. I think about those who struggle with whether or not they're saved. I pray today you're speaking to their hearts about what actual salvation is, about giving their lives to you. Stop trying to, to run their own lives, but instead know that there is a Lord that they can submit to. And God, that today would be a day they would do that. It would be a day they would mark that past salvation to begin that sanctification process, to begin seeing fruit in their lives, and as that happens, to look forward to the day of glorification. God, we just want to give you all the praise and honor for it today. We pray it in your name. Amen.